We will be continuing our sermon series in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to turn there and follow along as we will be looking at God's Word. Pastor Doug last week read a section of Scripture in his message and spoke about that is quite well known. And it's one of those things that when we hear just a text from Scripture without all the context that's going on, we lose some of its value. And I don't want us to miss that today. I want to go back and read from what Pastor Doug had already covered last week when he said in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Very encouraging to understand that God has this people this royal priesthood. But right after that, he started to say, because of that, there are actions that need to happen in obedience because of who you are. And part of them was conduct, personal conduct. This week, we'll be looking at something that we're going to uh, talk about and label as submission to authority. I want us to understand that first, I believe it is very important that we look at this as Peter wrote it and to the, to the audience that he was speaking to. People that were part of a royal priesthood but still had to live in the same environment that they had the day before they entered the royal priesthood. Not different than us today but really to understand the magnitude of what they went through, let's look at it through the eyes of Peter's audience. I read our scripture starting in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let us start by understanding and looking at submitting to the government. Verses 13 through 17. Why should we submit to the government? Why should we submit to authorities? The short answer, for God's sake. It brings honor and glory to him. But Peter unpacks more than that, and he talks about the government at that time, the government that was over these exiles that we have been talking about. We're not going to get into a theological debate about how, why governments are or should they all stand, even in the bad ones. We have to go with what is there. He says that you will submit to them, good or bad. But also, he said that they're there for a reason. And what is that reason? They are to keep peace in society. We see that because it says they are going to take and they're going to deal with those that do evil, and they're going to be good to those that follow the rules. That's a good thing. But it's more than that. We have to see why the rules are in effect. Yes, God did put them there, and yes, there will be punishment for those that did not follow them, but also we see in verse 15... For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter is calling out those that are part of this new nation and is saying, don't allow yourself to be caught up in the talk that is against the government. Don't be one of those that would be stirring up. By your actions, by being one that follows the rules, you will silence those that would be blaspheming or going against the government. I believe that Jesus himself was a great example of that. I believe it's Matthew chapter 22. Peter was confronted by the Pharisees. And they wanted to try and trick him, and they said, what should we do about taxes? Should we pay taxes? Can we relate to that? Do we know what taxes are? I think we do. And Jesus said, give me a coin. Let me show it to you. Whose face is on it? Caesar. And he said wisely, then give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God, that which is God's. He silenced those that would try to bring opposition. Very important for us also. But there's more than just doing things out of obedience, acting out. That'll only go so far. 
That's behavior. There has to be more of a change than that. It has to come from within. It has to be part of who we are, our mind and our heart. And Peter tells specifically three things that we can do. Verse 16 says, love as people, or I'm sorry, live as people who are free. Free from what? Peter is saying, live as people who are now free from the bondage of sin. You have been called out. You don't have to live like the world does anymore. Yes, you're in the world, but you do not have to do what the world says. And then he goes on to also say, pass that, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. What he's saying is, don't say that you're free, and because you are free and not held accountable by, that, by the world's standards, now I can do everything that I want and go on sinning. No, you just lost your freedom and you're back in sin. You still must not be like where you are living. And where is he living? Where is it written to? They can't be saying, like that famous saying, what happens in Galatia stays in Galatia. That can't be how you're living. You must be apart from that. But also he says, as he finishes up, but living as servants of God, we're going to be looking stronger at that word servants. But when I was studying and looking at what men have looked at as what servants of God means, they quickly changed that word to slaves. A deeper meaning, one that would follow very submissively. God is in control of our lives, and we should act accordingly. Allow him to lead and direct us through our mind and through our heart. That will then change how we act. But we have to go farther than that. And I think that we have to understand that not only was this for them then in the government that they were faced with, but also we have to understand it is for us today. I believe that verse 17 is not only the application then, but it is the application now. Look what it says. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. There are those commentators that would say there's really only three things there. And the first one where it says honor everyone really is a summation of the other three. But I don't think that that's quite right. Most people didn't, most commentators didn't agree with that because what kind of has that fall apart is everyone then would have to include God. God is much more than just someone else. I think that these are four statements. And we have to understand them, but we have to put them in the right order to really get what Peter is saying. We have one is a fear, one is to love, and two 
are to honor. First and foremost, we are to, to fear God. We are to have a reverence before him. He is to be the Lord and God and ruler of our lives. This relationship from him to us must be first and foremost in our hearts and lives. We must have that in place before any of the other ones can come about. And the next one after that is love the brotherhood. That starts out from the, from the vertical to the horizontal. It starts in this room with, what, with those that we see in the church. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're connected with them worldwide. Whoever they might be, we must love them. We've been hearing that a lot lately at Crossway Christian Church, is to love one another. And here it is again. But then we are to honor. Some might say we should honor everyone and we can even in include politicians and leaders in that because we have to. Or we can say honor the emperor differently than everyone else. I believe that no matter whether we agree with government or politicians, they should have the same respect as honoring everyone. They are made in the image of God. They are bearers of his likeness. We have to love and honor and cherish, and we have to have it in the proper order. Next, if we look at verse 18, servants should, should, should submit to masters. I read verse 18. Servants should be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to good and to gentle, but also to the unjust. I believe this is one of the places that we have to look first what, uh, to what Peter is saying between this relationship between servants and masters. I looked up seven Bible translations and read each one of them, and every time the word master was there. It was the only thing that was used. But it's an Old Testament master, I believe. Even though we're in the New Testament... One of the New Testament meanings of master was Jesus himself. He was called that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Old Testament. And there we would understand that a master is an owner of persons or property, a ruler of someone exercising authority. I think we can understand that. I think we know what a master is. What about a servant? Those seven, same seven translations... Five used servants, one was slaves, and one was household slaves. Let's not confuse anything about this ter term with what we might have think, thought about in our past uh, in the United States and in present day world. Yes, there are slaves, but let's look and understand what these people in this royal priesthood would be encountering at that time. 
This was probably the largest segment of the population that there was at that time. But inside of these servants, slaves, were people that were doctors, people that were teachers, people that were uh, household um, servants, nurses. All of those would have been in the same type of situation. Yes, they might have been owned to a certain degree. And if you looked and remember from the reading that we just did this week in Exodus, it gave us uh, a, a great look at what God said about slaves. And I want to turn to that, and I want uh, to read to you about God's rules for slaves. I'm reading from Exodus chapter 21. Now, these are the rulers that shall... Uh, that you shall set before them, the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a, a wife, and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be the masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. I think the important part of that, it says, if he loves his master. There was a relationship there that not, not necessarily were all masters bad. There was part of this relationship that was good. They had a chance to become free men. But in the text that we're talking about here, Peter is saying to them, they are still, no matter what, under the authority of those that are rulers over them, the masters, without a doubt. The respect that they had for those masters was unconditional. Look at verse 18. It said they were good and gentle, but they were unjust. Out of those seven words for unjust, unjust was the only time used once in the ESV. I saw two that said harsh. King James said a word, froward, meaning bad or contrary, cruel, unreasonable, overbearing. Even in the midst of that type of master, they were still to be submissive. But we have to understand more than just that. In verse 20 it says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you uh, endure? Verse 20 is going to show us in some ways there's a promise, in some ways there is not. When we do something wrong and we're held accountable for it, even to the point of punishment, there's no reward for that. We got what we deserved. 
But more than that, it says, but if when you go and uh, do good and suffer for it and you endure, this gracious thing is the sight, is, is gracious thing in the sight of God. This is the reward. This is what we're getting is God's grace. Not only grace at the time that this is happening, but also understanding God's grace will remove us from this world into an eternity in his forever grace. And in the same language we see in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When, mind, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. I believe this brings all of this together and gives us our application when we understand exactly mindful of God. There would be those that would look at it and say, okay, so if we're suffering unjustly, we should be mindful of God. We should just focus on God. Well, there's some truth to that. But that's not what this is saying. I'd like to give you an example of what I would think that would look like. This example comes from those formative years. Uh, Maybe this is on a personal level. You might have experienced the same thing. You're sitting at the supper table, and before you is that pile of long green beans. And the negotiations have gone on, and you're now down to to eating three of them. And it's suggested, don't be mindful of the green beans. Be mindful of them as McDonald's french fries. (laughs) That's not what this is saying about being mindful. What this is saying about being mindful in the midst of all that we're doing and all the suffering, it is to know and understand that our actions must bring honor and glory to the God that has called us out and made us part of that royal priesthood. We must do nothing that brings shame to his reputation, to who he is. That's what being mindful of God is. Peter goes on to tell us we have a great example. And that example is imitate Christ. Verses 21, 22, and 23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sins, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he was reviled. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
The example of Christ in this situation, I think, is twofold. First of all, it's about a relationship, and it's about trust. And the relationship that Jesus had is with his father. That connection was so great between them that he was submissive to his father no matter what would happen. Yes, he knew and would experience great pain, suffering, rejection. But between them, this relationship was perfect. And he knew that he could trust his father. And there was nothing that would ever happen that would turn him away from that and break that covenant relationship to the point that he would revile against those that were perpetrating such acts on him. And the reason for that is the trust. He knew exactly that he could trust in him who judges justly. See, he gave himself, he gave the situation, he gave all those that would persecute him, all of that was given over to the Father and said, he will deal with it. We have to understand that God will deal with those situations that we're in and those that would bring us suffering and pain. It's not up to us to return evil for evil. The one that judges justly will take care of that. And finally, there's a saving purpose for Christ's suffering. We can't use Christ as our example for this because there's only one suffering servant, Jesus himself. He would bear our sins. He would be bruised and beaten for us. And the result of that would be that we would turn from sin and live a righteous life. My friends, we have to understand that there's only one subject of the gospel, Jesus Christ. He was the one that came into this world to pay a penalty for sin. Sinners that would turn their back on God being Lord of their lives. And that relationship between God and man would be ever broken. But Christ would be the one that would make atonement and pay for that sin to bring us into a right relationship with God himself, to call us in to that royal priesthood, that holy nation, and that we should thank and praise him for that, remembering always that we should live a righteous life, not only before him, but before mankind, even those that would persecute us in the midst of our submission. Pastor Doug started our time together with scripture of the shepherd. This closes with that shepherd. And what does that shepherd do? He brings us back. The strayed sheep are brought back together. Praise God for that. Peter gave the exiles and us some hard truths to comprehend and to live by. We must submit to human authority. 
servants are subject to masters, good or unjust, and doing so will suffer. We should look to Jesus as our example in suffering. He demonstrated patience to endure, and we are reminded he is the author and finisher of our faith. When we live faithful lives to our calling as his people, our Lord is given glory and praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we understand that even inside your covenant community, we still are part and in this world. And Lord, I pray that not if we suffer, but when we suffer, we still react and our actions are such that bring glory and honor to you and to you only. Lord, we pray that we are found faithful, that we endure because of your name, that those that would try to blot out the truth of the gospel message, Lord, we know that they will not ever have the final victory. But Lord, may they not silence our voices. May they not intimidate us. May we stay strong for your word, for your work, for your kingdom work, that you continue changing hearts and lives. Allow us, Lord, to be part of your work in adversity and in those times of great joy. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.